Thanks be to God indeed. Thank you so much, uh, Angela, for reading that from the message version. Just great to hear it fresh uh, from that translation. And uh, thank you, Catherine, for leading us uh, so beautifully in prayers. Um, good morning, everybody. It's so lovely to see you. For those who don't know me, my name's Matt. Um, I'm the lead pastor here at Creech Baptist Church. And this morning we're going to carry on uh, in our series. Leilani, if you could bring up Actually, we've got Leilani and Rachel behind the scenes today. If you could bring up the PowerPoint, that'd be fantastic. Bless you both for what you do behind the scenes. Here we go. I want to talk to you today about provisions for the journey. And you'll see it's Luke 18, 1 to 14 we read. I'm also going to touch on the last few uh, uh, verses up to 17 as well. If you've got your Bibles, do get them out as we turn to God's word. Let's just pray for a moment. We say, Lord, please speak to us now. However we're feeling, whatever our week has been like, we pause and turn to you. Help us to focus, receive from you, be changed from you again this morning, be changed by you again this morning, more into the likeness of Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I'm going to be talking about provisions for the journey, the journey ahead. Um, and we're going to be looking at persistency and humility and childlike faith. But let me start here. There was so much excitement on my house, uh, in my house on Thursday night because the following day was a uh, non-uniform day. Can we bring up the next slide? Um, and you know that feeling when you were a kid. Uh, it's just so exciting. This wasn't just an ordinary non-uniform day. This was a dress as a superhero if you'd like to, non-uniform day. Well, of course we'd like to. And so my two girls are extremely excited about this and even got their auntie to make them their own capes ready to go. Uh, now, Emily had chosen to go as Wonder Woman, and so she had the blue skirt, or is it the red skirt, and the blue skirt and the red top and the red cape, and, uh, and Sophie had decided to go as Purple Girl. Just the made up one that she decided she wanted to go. It's purple girl, all in purple with a purple cape. Absolutely amazing. Wake up Friday morning and there's huge excitement. I come downstairs and there are my two uh, cape clad superheroes ready for the day. And Emily asked me, Dad, what, um, what powers does Wonder Woman have? And I'll be honest, I didn't know. So I Googled it and I told her, well, she can fly. She's got strength. She's got agility and speed. So ah, you could tell Emily was pleased about this. And then I thought, hmm, I wonder what Purple Girl has. So I asked Sophie, Sophie, what powers does Purple Girl have? And she thought for a moment, smiled and she said, I have every power, every power. Now, Emily was not best pleased with this. You can't have every power. That's surely not fair. This is a grave injustice. But no, uh, Sophie was adamant. I am Purple, Purple Girl and I have every power, every single one and Emily at least trying to uh, uh, challenge this injustice simply said well that means you've also got the power of no power as well doesn't it you know you could just feel it uh, this, this brewing inside you can't have every power but apparently purple girl does but the truth is none of us can have all the strengths and character virtues in life can we actually in our uh, Christian walk we can't have every gift uh, either you can't be the most hospitable and the most insightful and the best at leading and preaching and teaching and the best at wisdom and the best at loving and the best at hospitality and all the rest of them all together. But I'm a super Christian, says absolutely no one. I have all the gifts, says absolutely no one. None of us do, do we? But that's exactly why we're a community together. That's exactly uh, why 
Christianity isn't a solo effort. It's not about Lone Rangers. It's not this, what happened to Christianity. It became this private, personal faith that's just my thing and I keep it to myself and I don't matter if I don't go to church or I don't gather online with others. It's my personal thing. There is the personal element to our faith. It is all about uh, your relationship with Jesus. But it's all about his people together. That's how God looks at us as a people together, known and loved as individuals, but gathered as his church. And it's as we gather together, as we uh, live together, support one another, love one another, that we reflect best the kingdom of God in all its fullness and all the qualities and all the giftings come together um, to shine the light of Jesus in this world. But whilst that's true, that we can't have every gift, It is also true that there are certain characteristics that every single one of us is called to nurture and cherish if we're a follower of Jesus. Every single one of us needs to invite the Holy Spirit to work them within us. And when they're not there, it's not okay just to go, well, that's not one of my strengths. It doesn't matter if I don't have that one. Because these qualities matter, perhaps the most single important one of all that Jesus taught us is love. Right there at the heart, God's love. I give you this commandment, love one another. Then people will know you're my disciples. Love one another well, love God well, the greatest commandment of all. But there are others, two other characteristics and attitudes that God wants us to work in each of us if we're going to be his people and follow him in his mission of reaching out with this world, to this world, with the good news of his love and his kingdom breaking in. This morning, we're going to think about just three of them. We've been considering the road that Jesus took to Jerusalem, this section of Luke's gospel, where Jesus begins by turning his face to Jerusalem. We thought about that moment, steadfastly set his face towards trusting the Father, and he took that step of trust. It was a costly one. He knew the journey ahead was hard, but we thought about that. And then last week we thought about that amazing parable he taught of the son coming home on the road back home, the road back to the father. And we were just blown away again by the grace and loving arms of Father God. And that road was only made possible because of the road Jesus had chosen to go on, the road to the cross. And this week I want us to focus on three crucial qualities, if you like, that Jesus taught his disciples that they were going to need to survive on the road and the mission ahead. You see, he was teaching them all the time uh, about the provisions that they were going to need, not just for the journey with him to the cross over those few weeks, months. We're not quite sure however long that section in Luke is. But afterwards as well, they didn't realise, but Jesus wouldn't be with them in person. Uh, And so they would have to carry on the mission before his kingdom came in fullness, reaching out as his witnesses and as those who would share his love and the good news that he gave them. You see, people mistakenly think far too quickly that Jesus was just some kind of moral teacher. It's so dry and exhausting when you just simply think of Jesus as a moral teacher though as if morals are just nice things to do and he just went around telling everyone to be nice because nice is nice um but he didn't he's always had an eternal purpose in mind in all of his 
teachings. They're not irrelevant to the big picture. They are part of the big picture, the plan of God to make all things new. And by his people, those followers of Jesus, he was going to make uh, his love known to the world. Jesus came to reveal the Father, to make it possible for people to be saved and forgiven, set free and have a hope and a relationship with God, not just today, but tomorrow And even when we die, that's not the end to have a relationship with God going through to all eternity. That was the big mission. That's why Jesus came. And that's the mission he now calls us on. And if we're going to be part of that mission, when we read what Jesus is teaching us, that the provisions we're going to need along the way, the character traits and qualities, our ears should open up. When we realise these are essential things for what he's calling us to do and who, as his people, he's calling us to be. There's no doubt, friends, that there is quite a mission ahead for us, quite a journey we're on as a church. In fact, every person is on a fascinating, difficult journey right now throughout the world, as Meg reminded us, not just as a nation. But we look at it as us, as a church together. I am sure, I am clear, it's becoming so clear that God is going to be doing new things ahead uh, after we gather and there'll be time celebration, recuperation, recovery, but there is also going to be new things ahead. God has been stirring in us a renewed passion for his spirit and a renewed passion for the least, the last and the lost, the vulnerable, the isolated, the struggling. And he's put that in our hearts. And I believe he's going to be calling us more into how we can reach out and bless our community and the communities that you're based in and that we're based in together as a church and with his love and a foretaste of the kingdom. So as Jesus is preparing his disciples for the mission that lay ahead, let us listen with ears ready to receive this morning. The first provision in this passage that Jesus teaches them they're going to need for the road ahead is persistency. And I don't know about you, if we're honest, that's a bit of a disappointment, isn't it? I mean, it's not the kind of characteristic we put top of our list of things we most want, because actually the need for persistency suggests that the road ahead is not always going to be easy. And yet this is true. Jesus tells The disciples, this parable we read, to show them that they should always pray and never give up. And it's the parable of the very, 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 very persistent widow. It begins with a judge who neither fears nor cares uh, about what God thinks or what people think. Angela read that so well from the message. He's literally a godless, amoral character who sadly has great power and authority over others. And into this picture, Jesus introduces a widow who's been wronged and her only hope is to seek justice from this judge, to keep coming back. And unlike the judge, she is a symbol of the weakest and the most vulnerable, the most powerless in society. The ones God has such an eye for and a special love for he loves all of us the same but he sees those that we miss he sees the struggling and the vulnerable and the powerless and he says no it's not okay reach out to them well anyway this uh, vulnerable lady is standing there a solitary uh, widow before a mighty 
judge. She has no money to bribe him. She has no powerful benefactor to persuade him. She literally has no common ground with him, nothing to work with, no expectation that anything she'll do or say will get her anywhere. It seems that her efforts are utterly futile, like banging her head against a brick wall. But even though she knew he was uncaring through and through, she knocks on the door of justice. She seeks the justice that she knows is right. She knocks again and she knocks again and she knocks again. And then after that, she knocks again. And after that, she knocks again. And she keeps on knocking. She keeps on bringing her pleas. She refuses to give up in the face of utter hopefulness. She refuses to accept that injustice is okay. That nothing will ever change. And eventually, extraordinarily, we read that the judge gives up in exasperation and gives her the justice she seeks, lest he gets worn out or, uh, there's quite an interesting translation there, lest she finally gives him a black eye, it kind of translates as in the Greek. Basically, it's just like, enough, I can't cope with this anymore. And Jesus, I think, is saying to those seeking his kingdom, to those who are seeking his justice, and his kingdom to come on earth just as it is in heaven, that we're going to need some serious persistency. We shouldn't be surprised in the journey when we encounter people or principalities and powers, both physical, political, economic, spiritual, that are totally unmoved and uncaring to the things of God and the genuine needs and concerns of others. It's a stark reminder that the world is not just yet. The world is not under the fullness of God's just rule. The world so desperately needs the love and grace and kindness and justice and hope and healing of Jesus. And yet sometimes it's tempting to think, isn't it? Well, if God's on our side, surely, Matt, we should be far more positive than this. We can just go out in his name and buy the Power of the Spirit, surely it's going to be one quick victory after another. And I love passion and enthusiasm. I'm often accused of having too much of it myself. I make no apology for it. But if we're honest, there have been far too many well-meaning Christians that have sought to rush into a given situation without understanding the context first, without knowing the people. and They've sought to change everything overnight. But in the end, actually, they leave nothing much more than a bad taste behind as they get back on the bus and go home again. I honestly believe people, uh, Jesus isn't calling his people to uh, drop in and drop out guerrilla warfare mission, but to persistency. Maybe tempting to fire off with a whole series of short term goals and big gestures and satisfyingly tick off our tick list. I love tick lists. Mission done. Next one. Mission done. Next one. But as we learn in parenting, yeah, forgive me, I've got four kiddies. I'm still learning loads from parenting. Gosh, we learn in parenting that the short-lived big show pieces are nice, but it's the persistency of love that counts. It's that that our kids need. They enjoy the big treats, of course they do, the big shows and the excitements. But more important to them is our never giving up on them, believing in them, loving them there for them always being persistent and if we're going to share the wonderful love and reality of God's kingdom in our village in Creech and the surrounding villages in our families our friendship groups our workplaces the communities where you dwell and live then it's less about being a firework 
which goes up in the air and it's spectacular for two seconds and then it's gone and quickly forgotten. More about being a fire that burns strong and brings light and heat and comfort and nurture and provision. Jesus teaches that the kingdom starts small and grows bigger. It grows and it grows and it grows as God's people are persistently pressing in to him. I've never forgotten a preacher I heard when I was a very new Christian at 16, uh, where the preacher spoke about Revelation 1. And it just starts with this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus. Gosh, that struck me as a new Christian. He didn't say in the quick victories and the kingdom and the instant wins that are ours in Jesus. No, in the suffering in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Friends, I trust the road ahead is going to be filled with celebration and love and joy and laughter and companionship and rejoicing over the transformation that Jesus will do in us and through us and around us. But it won't always be easy. We'll sometimes feel like giving up. We'll sometimes face opposition. We might even feel like we're hitting our head against a brick wall. But the call is to persistency, to persistency in seeking justice in our mission, faithfulness in our prayer, consistency in our love for those in our community. Now, friends, that's not to say there aren't moments where things can change dramatically and even very suddenly. But underneath almost every dramatic move of God, you'll find a person or a people who are rooted in the community and persistently calling out and crying out to God, faithfully loving in that context before the big shift comes. And there are plenty of stories we know of how persistency in prayer, think of the Hebridean revival, 1949, the island of Lewis. And we think, oh, well, it was about the Duncan Campbell, the big evangelist who turned up, uh, didn't know the context, preached the word and everything changed. Well, kind of. But behind that were those two ladies, weren't there? I wonder if I wrote their names down. I don't think I did. I think one of them was called Peggy. Um, and I can't think what the other one's called. But two lovely old Ladies that remind me of the widow in this story, one of them bent over, the other unable to see, neither of them able, they were sisters, neither of them able to go out even to church, but they had started praying and pressing in and calling out to God for his kingdom to come. And then his kingdom did come. But for every known story of persistency in God's kingdom, I want to say there are so many untold stories and unknown stories to us, but known to God of faithful prayer and extraordinary persistency. They go untold, but they're happening all the time, happening within our fellowship. There are those of you tuned in this morning who are praying for loved ones. Those of you day in, day out, who are praying for breakthrough, for faith, for healing, for change, for justice, day in, day out. And you may feel sometimes like you're hitting your head against a brick wall. Well, I believe God would say to you this morning, not one of your prayers has gone unheard. Not one of your prayers is worthless or ignored. They are known. They are treasured like incense smelled in heaven. And one day they will come to pass. Because Jesus didn't tell us this parable to say God's like an unjust judge who you have to convince to help you. Eventually, if you keep going, you'll get wound up and give in. 
<laughs> like most parents. No, Jesus makes it clear that our Heavenly Father is the very opposite of the unjust judge. And whilst we live in the tension and the struggle and the truth that God's kingdom has not come in all its fullness yet. It's why Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come. It's not here in all its fullness yet, but it is breaking in. But there's still the struggle. And in that struggle, one thing we can be utterly persistent in is our confidence in the goodness and the faithfulness and love of Father God. You know, one day every prayer will be answered as Jesus returns and his kingdom finally comes. Jesus says, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice. And on that day it will come quickly. And Jesus asks, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When Jesus comes again to establish the kingdom once and for all, will he find that kind of persistent faith on earth? Friends, I know it's tempting sometimes just to stop. Stop seeking God for that thing, that breakthrough, that change. But the day God's people give up on seeking his kingdom come is the day we forfeit our greatest calling, our greatest mission. We start walking the road that we have been called to tread with Jesus. And so Jesus says to us, yes, the road ahead will not always be easy. It will be hard, but don't ever lose heart. Your prayers matter. They make a difference. Your actions matter. Your love matters. Keep pressing in, keep being persistent in faith, trust and utter confidence in the heart and goodness of the Father, for his kingdom is coming. And so we press forward. Let us, brothers and sisters, be persistent in our mission, in our love, in our compassion, in our kindness, in our seeking for transformation and change, for healing and love, for justice. And let us get caught in the act when Jesus comes again of praying and seeking his kingdom and living out the goodness and justice and compassion of God to those around. Let us get caught in the act. Well, I can see my time. I've obviously got far more to say this morning than I've got time for. So I'm going to try and skip through a bit now. But persistency. And on the road of mission with Jesus, we need to pack plenty of it. But we also need to pack another provision that Jesus teaches on. And that's humility. Because interestingly, if we're not careful, like every other virtue, if we pride ourselves on our persistency, it can actually lead to religiosity and religiosity gets us nowhere. And Jesus, uh, well, Luke introduces the next parable in spectacularly blunt style to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. I mean, this says it all really, doesn't it? There were folks around in Jesus day who would have heard his teaching on persistency and gone, yep, you don't need to talk to me about persistency, fella. I am persistent in prayer every day, every single day, but far more consistent or persistent than anyone else you can see around here. And we may not use that language, but I wonder how easy it Tempting it is sometimes to feel like, oh, you'd never understand how hard it is for me. And yet I soldier on faithfully and persistently as a good Christian should, being generous, being kind, always reading my Bible. It's not that these things are bad to do. In fact, no, they're the very right things to do. But if they become our pride or they become the very nature and essence of our faith, we actually have entered into religiosity and dryness. 
So Jesus presents us with a story of a Pharisee who stands in the most prominent position in the temple and he booms out, God, I thank you, I'm not like other people, like robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tenth of all I get. The point is here, he's doing far and above what the law is asking him to. Fasting far more, giving far more. He's giving on everything, not just the portion the law required of him. It's as if he's saying to God, even though he recognizes God is far superior, it's as if he's saying, but I need nothing from you. I've got this one sorted, God. One commentator I thought hilariously wrote, after reading his prayer, we wonder if God should apply to be his assistant. Whoa, gosh. You know, religious pride is one of the most unpleasant things the world can encounter. The world looks to those who are supposed to represent the kindness and love of God and instead they see human pomposity and arrogance and hardness of heart. And sadly, the religiosity of this Pharisee, rather than bring him in near, nearer to God and to others, did the very opposite. He didn't need God, so he's further away, or so he thought. And he looked down on others. And so he broke the very law he was trying to keep, the most important one of all, love God and love your neighbour as yourself. For the followers of Jesus, there is no place for arrogance on the mission of God. For a religious spirit of superiority or religiosity, it's ugly, it puts people off. It's simply not based in any reality at all. So Jesus points us to a tax collector, stood at a diff- distance, not even able to look up to heaven in the knowledge of his sin. And he simply says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In this moment, Jesus is bringing us back again to the basics at the heart of the gospel. A tax collector doesn't boast before God because he knows he's worthy of punishment. He doesn't just say I'm a sinner. He says I'm the sinner. Just like Paul does later on, he pleads no extenuating circumstances. He brings no mitigation. He is guilty. He is broken in the wrong and he knows it. And nothing he can do can change it. And nothing he can do could ever make him right in the presence of a perfect God. His religious efforts, few and far between, they count for nothing. And yet it was that humility that led to the grace of God. Now, don't be too quick to associate and go, oh, well, he was probably just a really good man underneath and this humility makes him an even better man. No, just imagine for a moment that he was actually a rotten man, a nasty man, a proud man, someone who tricked and deceived others, who hurt others, and many others are suffering under the injustice because of what he did. Now look at that tax collector and hear the wonder and the grace in what Jesus is saying. Because instead of saying, no way, fella, Instead of Jesus saying, well, it wasn't that bad what he did. No, Jesus says, do you know what? He was forgiven. You are forgiven. Wow. Jesus is saying, brothers and sisters, however far you are along the journey of faith, be like him. Realize your utter need for God, even if you're not a total rotter and doing all these dreadful things. All of us need to recognize our need for God. We're all the same sinners saved by grace. Never, ever forget it's all about his grace and mercy. Humble ourselves as we go forward together, friends. Humbled by the grace of Jesus, seeing ourselves rightly. Without God, we can't do any of this. Without the Lord, we're stuck. We're lost in our sin. We're trapped. And yet, as we approach Easter, let us look again in wonder at the cross and realize that because he died there for you and yes, for me, 
Matt, and for you. Because he rose again to life. The favour of God comes flooding into our lives. The mercy of God sweeps over us. The spirit of God descends and dwells within us. And we are declared forgiven and righteous and clean and free. Wow, this is our story and this is our joy. Let us not think humility means lacking confidence. No, it doesn't. It means having utter confidence, not in us, but in him, in Jesus, in our forgiveness, in our hope, in our future because of him. And this confidence that we have in the incredible truth that God has called us to join him on this mission, that he's using us and going to use us and calling us to reach out with his love and his hope and his forgiveness and touch those around us with his compassion and presence and healing. So let's pack plenty of persistency and humility, but there's one more provision I want to draw us to this morning, and that is a childlike faith. And I'm going to take two minutes to say this, if I can. We've had the immoral judge in a position of power, the powerless widow with persistency, the arrogant Pharisee trapped in religiosity, and a tax collector humbly realising without God he was bust. But we finish this section with one final picture of a child coming to see Jesus and sitting with him, believing him, loving him and being loved and cared for by him. People, we read, were also bringing little ones to Jesus for him to place his hand on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In the end, when we packed all our provisions for the journey, hope and hospitality, we've been thinking about, haven't we, compassion, persistency, humility and all the others. Inviting the spirit to work them in us. There's one thing more important than all of them. And that's our simple trust, our dependency, our faith in Father God as his beloved children, our relationship with him. In the end, It's what it's all about, that one day God will dwell with us, a father with his children. It's the great hope of the Bible. It's the great big meta-narrative, the big story. It's where we're heading, that his kingdom will one day come and we will see him face to face. That relationship with Father God is what it's all about through Jesus, his son. Together, just as we've always meant to be. The disciples thought that Jesus wouldn't want to see the children, but he said, no, you've got it wrong. I love them. Let them come to me. The kingdom of God is like those. It's it's for them and those like them. I had one of the most unexpected hours this Friday, just gone. Uh, It'd been far too long since me and Harry, my four-year-old, that's his little leggies running there uh, last year, had gone to the park together. And so when he asked, even though I was really busy, I said, yeah, go on then. And it was just the most incredible privilege to hang out with this little four-year-old boy on Friday, who for some reason loves me so very much, more than I deserve, far more. But everything he did, he wanted to do before me and with me, seeking my approval, my joy, my love, my laughter. Watch me run, Dad. I'm nearly with you, Dad. You stand there, Dad, and watch me slide. Let's go and play over there, Dad. Look at that stick, Dad. Let's hide from the cat behind this bush, Dad. Let's be dinosaurs, Dad. Can we play in that bit, Dad? Can we sneak through this passageway, Dad? I love you, Dad. 
my heart for him in that hour was huge. And then I realized what I was going to preach on this week. The kingdom of God belongs to them and those like them, wholehearted in their trust, totally dependent, but utterly free, loving from their heart with an openness, joy and delight, full of creativity and possibility and wonder and adoring the company of their father. When it all boils down, folks, the most important thing of all is our relationship with Father God. Without it, anything we do, it's all just good intentions and religion. Without knowing we're loved, it's all just exhausting. Right at the heart, what we need is relationship, not religion. That's what we offer the world, his presence and compassion. We need a deep trust and a genuine love for Father God. So as we turn towards Easter and I finish now, we prepare ourselves for the return to the church building and the mission and call God has for us ahead. Let us remember it all comes down to this. Do you love him? Do you? Do you know his love for you? Do you trust him? Do you know he's rooting for you? That he's so, so good. That his plans are coming to pass. His kingdom is coming. So don't give up. Humble yourself again this morning and receive his grace. Let's turn again like a child towards his love. And give him our hearts and adoration again this morning. Amen.